Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organisation sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 14 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Deondra Wardell on the show. Deondra is a transformational leader, coach, motivational speaker, and expert in empowering and developing individuals towards achieving their personal and professional goals. Deondra is a connector of people, an absolute share of knowledge. Deondra is active in many fields, supporting and leading change, which we'll explore today. Let's get into the episode. Deondra, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to share knowledge and insights and help us create a better future. Thank you, Brad, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Deondra, can we start with some of your backstory? You were mentioning about your parents to me when we caught up. What part did they play in creating who you've become in your career? So my parents are significant influencers of who I have become in my career. Uh, my father, um, who would have been 85 this year, um, was a very, very hard worker. He had a fifth grade education. However, he was brilliant when it came to math and doing calculations. And he always uh, worked, did, he had his own business, and he was a great provider. And then my mom, um, who is, I'm thankful that she is still with me, is, has been just such a nurturer, but at the same time, uh, was one for tough love. She gave me some advice when I was a little girl before I started school that I still meditate on even when I'm in a corporate boardroom or before I present or before I speak or anything that I do. And um, they really helped shape me and they helped me to understand that um, always be humble and realize that no one else is better than me, but at the same time, I'm not better than anyone else. And to always be respectful of others and try to be helpful and, um, you know, just, just be about doing the good, um, you know, to practice the golden rule, do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. And, and I laugh as I started my journey into continuous improvement. And when I first started studying Lean Six Sigma, I, I kind of chuckled that some of the concepts that I learned, I learned as a child, especially 5S, you know, a place for everything and everything in its place. And um, so they ha- have had a huge influence on who I am today. They started you off on the right track. They did. They really did. So, Yondra, how did your career evolve, like from your career from education and then moving into continuous improvement in this field? That is a great question because I have a, a very unusual background as it relates to continuous improvement. Um, most people um, usually start out in engineering or, you know, one of, one of the sciences similar to that. Um, but my first job out of college, I sold insurance. And then um, from there, I went into the banking industry uh, where I was a branch manager of a, a very successful bank um, in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And then I got into retail. I managed two clothing stores. Fashion has always been a favorite of mine. 
And then I decided that I wanted to do um, training and development and I wanted to get into human resources. And so I started working for a staffing company that was on site at an electronic repair company. And um, I was at that company for almost 15 years and I was exposed to, I just had some amazing opportunities where I worked in operations, um, I had responsibility in human resources and um, where I landed, I landed in the training department where I was tasked with teaching others about Lean Six Sigma. And we had our own in-house training program, but it was primarily designed for members of management. And I approached um, the gentleman who was a site director at the time, and I said, you know, if we are going to start practicing Lean Six Sigma across our particular site, it can't be the case that only managers have this information. Uh, we need to introduce it to everyone so that we're all speaking the same language. And um, through that journey, I just began to fall in love with continuous improvement and Lean Six Sigma primarily because you know, it, it focused on data-driven, team-based problem solving. And it's not only about improving processes, but developing people. And just from there, it just continued to grow from one opportunity to the next as I moved through my career, um, you know, and, and, and I began to, you know, rise to other promotions and other opportunities. Lean Six Sigma Continuous Improvement was, was the major responsibility of, of what I did in my job. And um, again, the connection was always to people. Um, improving processes, not only for the people performing them, but even for the end customers, um, making sure that value is brought to those who are actually going to receive a product or service. And so um, then I, I got introduced to the improvement kata, and that's a separate story in and of itself. And that really opened my mind to how what we practice and what we teach in continuous improvement is not only limited to manufacturing, um, but it can it, it applies to all aspects of life. Yonder, the, you've been in a very key field, which is, you know, developing people and training people and giving them the skills. What have you found to be key elements to actually achieving great outcomes there as you've been through that journey? So, you know, as, as I've been through that journey, what I have found as a key outcome is that those who are closest to the process have the information, they have the solutions. And oftentimes what happens is they feel like they don't have a voice or they feel like that someone won't listen to them. Um, and it's and, and as primarily associated to what their title may or may not be, what their educational background may or may not be, what their certifications may or may not be. And so any success that I have had, it was not of my own doing. It's always been collaborating with a team. Um, so any direct report who I've ever worked with, it's, it, it was never the DeAndre Wardell show. It was really important for me to include my team to make sure that their voices were heard and to hear their ideas. And then as we would engage in processes, um, that we would listen to the voices of the people. And those people could range from senior leaders to the operators on the floor. Uh, because what I would find sometimes is that there was this, um, this division, an unnecessary division, it never made sense to me, between management and non-management. 
um, you know, management is needed to, you know, facilitate, to help, you know, garner resources, uh, to help move projects along. And the non-management is needed as well, you know, because typically they're the ones who execute the work. They're the ones who come up with the great ideas. And in all that we do in continuous improvement, we're stronger together. It's, it's a collaboration. No one has all the ideas. No one is, you know, can do the job on their own. And it really would need to be that collaboration. And so oftentimes where I would see myself, um, not necessarily so much as the Lean Six Sigma practitioner or the master black belt, but more as the coach and more, you know, helping to facilitate and getting people to listen and have conversations. Um, some of my friends who are also in continuous improvement tease me and say that I'm the Oprah Winfrey of Lean uh, because it's like I, you know, have these little talk shows when we're, we're trying to get to the root cause of a problem and identify solutions. But, um, but seriously, it comes back to just listening and, um, and, and realizing that in our pursuit of perfection, that along the way, things may go as we expect them to, or they may not, but there's a learning that takes place along the way to not only improve those processes, but to develop people and improve relationships. DeAndre, there's two key things I, I heard in that conversation there that, that you're mentioning that one is when you were seeking how should you best educate and develop people, you started by asking them and engaging them. But then also you spoke about the breakdown that often happens between leadership and people and people not asking and getting feedback. What causes that, do you think? What do you think is the, core, the root cause of that disconnect that happens between management and frontline people? You know, um, it, it's been my experience that sometimes it's just a matter of perception um, that people get into their pods or their pockets. And especially where um, communication may be limited, people will arrive at their own conclusions or they may base it on um, experiences they've had in the past or something that has happened historically. But oftentimes it's just like when, you know, we do value stream mapping activities and we bring everyone in to start mapping the process. And when we have the cross collaboration and you involve people from different departments, one of the things we always hear people say is, I never knew you did that. Or I never knew you needed that information for me. I've been doing it this way and I had no idea it was creating this extra work for you. And, and, so, and it, it may sound simple, but sometimes it's just the not knowing. We're, we see things from our vantage point. We realize the work that we have to do. And sometimes we don't see the interconnections across the value stream um, and across you know, the organization. And especially when it, when it comes to management, you know, people have this preconceived notion sometimes, and I don't want to, you know, paint a broad brush, but this misunderstanding that managers are sitting, you know, in this fancy, you know, glass tower and, you know, playing tic-tac-toe all day. That's not the case. You know, oftentimes they are working really hard to make really difficult decisions about, you know, next steps for the business and, and different things that need to be done from the customer. But if I'm not shadowing that CEO, if I'm not shadowing that executive, if I'm not shadowing that middle manager or, you know, that operator, I have no idea what they may be dealing with from day to day in their work. And so it's, and that, that's why at the heart of what we do, it talks about go and see. 
and not just go and see the processes themselves in terms of how the processes operate and how, how work flows, but look at the people who are engaged in doing the work and what are some of the challenges they're experiencing in just coming to work and being successful. And, um, and, and so it just goes back to, I believe, it's, it's that breakdown in communication where we're kind of in our bubble focusing on whatever it is we need to accomplish and may not see the interconnection you know, across the value stream. I really picked up when you're talking about it's both sides. It can be a breakdown of understanding from the front line and also a breakdown of understanding from leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, you know, there's, um, there was one experience that I had and, you know, and as I talk about these things, I'm learning as well, because again, I'm not the, the, the expert. I, I'm a continual learner and I'm all, and I'm, you know, am quick to admit, I don't know, but let me go and find out. And I remember um, it was one, um, in one of my past work lives, there was a perception about um, this particular CEO and how hard-nosed he was. And um, this CEO and I regularly had weekly one-on-one calls. And one of the things that I would always pick up about him, although he was brilliant with data, brilliant with numbers, um, it amazed me how engaged he was with every facility across the organization. But the recurring theme that I would always hear is that he cared about what was best for the customers and he cared about what was best for the employees. Um, Did he have the most polished way of sometimes communicating that that passion maybe not it came off a little harsh but as as we as i as i got to know him you know i understood what was important to him and that was bringing value to customers and making sure employees had opportunities to be successful and so wherever i had the opportunity um you know with with other projects that my team and i would be working on i would always make sure that he was engaged in some way or another, either to, you know, for our kickoff meetings that he would give an opening statement or that I would at least, you know, at least have a quote from him. And then in those areas where people would make assumptions about how this particular leader was, I would speak up and say, no, that's not my experience because from being at the Gimba with this particular CEO, this is what was observed. This is the data. And I would share that. And, and I, like I said, I think it's important that we can't see things from one side or the other. We have to see how the sides are connected so that we can work together to accomplish whatever it is we need to accomplish. And that's just not in business, but really that's the case in what we're experiencing in the world. Well, Deandre, so I can really hear from that, your response there, that you played that connector in a way. You helped get the leaders to Gemba, also bring them into speeches to help that connect to the people. And then back the other way. That's, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on the, the converse of that is the voice of the employees. You know, we, we also talk about, you know, uh, when, with the work that we do, the voice of the customer. And I see that customer, not only the external customer that's receiving a product or a service, but the internal customer in terms of the employees. And I've worked in environments where um, there are employee engagement surveys that are conducted. And the response might be, oh, they, that's not really how they feel. Oh, that's not what they mean. Yes, it is. You know, when is the last time? I know you may, re- we, we receive reports and data is so important, but how often do leaders go to where the work takes place and go and sit 
and, and show that empathy and listen to what it is the employees are experiencing. You know, do you realize that an employee is spending so many hours of the day searching for the same tools over and over? Um, you know, it's, you know, just, just, just being able to understand what people are experiencing from their perspective and really listening and not imposing what we assume or how we think they should feel, but listen to what it is they're experiencing and really seek ways to help them be successful. Um, so it, it's, it's not just on one side, it's not just on management, it's not just on operators, but again, it's, it's, that in, it's really important that we listen from all aspects. Well, so the heart, the heart of excellence really and what you're talking about is listening and communication. Mm-hmm. Listening, communication, and, and, and even more simpler than that, showing respect for people. Because, you know, uh, people includes the engineers, people includes IT, it includes finance, um, it includes, you know, that person that's, that's working on the dock, it includes the shipping clerk, the receiving clerk, the receptionist. And, you know, all of these people are necessary, all of these people work together to deliver a product or service. No one is doing it on their own. And it's so important that we show respect for one another and respect for the work that, that we do and that we should work to try to help one another be successful in executing that work. DeAndre, what, what do you believe are some of the root causes as to why this doesn't happen? What stops this connectedness and listening and communication from happening? Um, Brad, that is the question of the day. <laughs> um, off the top of my head, and I would... I would, I would answer this even based on some of my own experiences is that um, sometimes there's just that lack of humility. There is so much pressure um, to deliver results. There's so much pressure for success. There's so much pressure to always have the right answer um, that, that people you know, are really not taking the time that's needed to listen, to learn, um, and to experiment even, um, because you know, we want, to, we want per- instant perfection, we want instant results, we need these numbers right now, and we just, just don't take the time that we need to, to, um, you know, to engage with one another, you know, to, to realize that yes, we do have these subject matter experts, but there may be someone else that has some input to share, you know, my mom has had this saying, and I, I use it all the time. So this, this goes back to my, uh, my parents' Lean Six Sigma certification, you know, the Wardell certification plan. Uh, but my mom would always say, a broken clock is right twice a day. And what is meant by that is, you know, something that may be discarded or ignored or disregarded still can bring value. And, you know, and if you look at that clock and whether it has batteries in it and it stopped working, true enough, that clock is right twice a day. And so everyone has value. Everyone has input. Everyone has something to add. And I don't know that we see that all the time. I recognize that. Yeah. It sounds to me too, like we've been talking about that you found that to achieve excellence and really great outcomes, it requires listening and understanding and great communication. But then our pursuit and pace and desire and to achieve greatness and get things done leads us to rush things and actually not take the time to do the right things to get there. Well, and, and that's where communication is key. And then that's where what we teach, um, you know, and, and what we do with operational excellence or, 
enterprise excellence or continuous improvement or what have you, um, that's where the scientific thinking comes into play or the A3 thinking. And of course we need quick results. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is, is important. We want to stay in business. You know, when our customers have issues, we want to be able to provide that service in a timely manner um, so that, you know, our customers are pleased and our customers are satisfied. Um, so with that in mind, that's why it's really important that everyone is speaking that same language in continuous improvement, that people understand the steps of problem solving that they understand the steps of the plan, do, check, act cycle or the DMAIC process or whatever methodology an organization is following so that when it is time to make those decisions, it aids in communication if everyone is aware of the methodology that's being followed. And as you know, we're going through the, the brainstorming to understand current state and looking at data and understanding our future state and our plan to achieve future state, um, when we all are, are speaking on all, all, all on the same page, then that's when we can have those rapid improvement cycles because everyone is aware of the methodology. You know, we're communicating and we're looking for ways to continuously improve our processes in order to, you know, deliver that, you know, product or service that our customer wants. So it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to move at a snail's pace. Absolutely not. When communication is better, when people are engaged and when people are empowered and, and are allowed to bring their ideas forward and know that their ideas will be heard, that's when you start to see that rapid improvement because of that, that feeling of inclusivity where, oh, someone is listening to me. Oh, someone thinks I do have a good idea. And this aligns with the work that we're doing on this particular improvement project. DeAndre, with, to achieve that, what advice would you give to a new leader or a leader who's going, okay, I believe my organization is disconnected. There's communication challenges and we're not moving fast enough. What advice would you give them to start improving and going forward in this area? You know, the, the advice that I would give a new leader is, first of all, it's important. And even though that, that is something that the leader may observe, they need to confirm it. And again, it goes back to the Gemba. And as a new leader, what I think is critical is taking the time to learn the business, to learn the processes in the current state, um, to know who the players are, know who your team is, know who the, the, the leaders are in terms of their strengths and opportunities for improvement. What, is, what, it, what roadblocks or what obstacles are in their way that as a leader, you know, part of your responsibility is to help remove those obstacles. Um, so before we jump into anything, even as a new leader, that plan, do, check, act cycle still applies and that it's important to go and see and go assess current state. And then from there, determine, you know, what I observed about communication. Is this really a breakdown? Is this really a, an obstacle? Is this really a challenge? And then follow what we know to be true that works with what we do in continuous improvement and, and go through that process to there are these challenges in communication. Well, I have a goal to improve communication and get it here and come up with a plan and take the actions to get to whatever that goal is. That's really, that's really neat. I had um, Stephen Covey's statement in my mind as you're talking there, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. Absolutely. Absolutely. DeAndre, 
Where are you, where, what are you motivated with now? What are you focused on now going forward? You've had this big career in um, bringing learning and development, helping to connect organizations and create high-level communication, high-level understanding, better cultures. What are you focused on now? So what I have laser focus on right now, um, it, is, um, it started out as a, a blog project called Root Cause Racism. And, um, and the, just the, the premise or the, the foundation of that is um, with what is going on with racism in our world, and particularly racism within, you know, my space, my circle within um, the United States. The things that I have practiced, the things that I teach about continuous improvement, that, you know, if we have this big, huge challenge, if we have this big, huge problem, well, if we bring a team together, and if we look at the data, and if we set a target, and we look at our current condition, and we set out what's the first step that we can take, um, that working together, we can achieve that challenge. So I, I wanted to take that and apply that to racism. And I, I know that sounds totally, you know, way out there in left field, or it may sound strange, um, but that was an idea. And from that, um, I, I collaborated with Mark Graven. As a matter of fact, he uh, extended an invitation to me um, to write a blog and, and, and engage some other people uh, in terms of uh, you know, colleagues and people I work with to take over his blog, do a blog takeover and you know, write a few blogs about racism and, and what's going on. Well, that evolved uh, because I not only brought along my colleagues and friends from the continuous improvement community, but people who I've known through all walks of life. So um, my best friend from first grade wrote a blog and um, some of my, you know, classmates from college and, you know, people who I attend church with. And, and we all came together and each day wrote a blog um, specifically to uh, a different industry. And the recommendation was, is that, yes, we realize that, there are things at play, there are things that are taking place as a result of systemic racism, but this is the one small thing you can do within your circle of influence and within your circle of, of friends and within your space or within your work group where you can make a difference. And then it concluded with a webinar uh, facilitated by Mark Graven and some of the greats in continuous improvement. Um, and, and most of the, the other panel participants uh, were my sisters and women in lean. Um, and so what we did is it, it, was, it was so transformational. Uh, the response that we received from the blogs and um, the response from the webinars um, just, just turned into a movement where we were like, you know what? We can't stop here. There's more to do because racism still exists. And um, so what I'm focusing on right now is to continue to collaborate um, with the members of the team. And I don't want to start calling names right now because I don't want to miss anyone. It's so large. There were so many, you know, I'll just say the women in lean generically. Um, but I will have to mention the founding mothers, which are uh, Karen Ross and uh, Crystal Davis and Dorsey Sherman. And um, so the women in lean, some of my kata coaches, um, like I said, and there were, and although there were, were women in front of the camera, there were so many men behind the scenes that were providing support and a number of different things that they were doing. Um, so, so now 
I'm going to land this plane eventually. <laughs> so what I'm focusing on right now is what's next with root cause racism. Um, because it's, you know, from, from what, from what we come to realize as a result of uh, this project, we have people also who wrote blogs and were involved from different parts of the world. And that this is truly a global issue and that it is going to take all hands on deck doing what I talked about earlier and what we see in the manufacturing practices that people on both sides of the wall need to take the time and show some empathy and talk and, and quit making assumptions about what they think people are or what they think people are not and sit down and figure out and work collaboratively to see what is it that we can do to put a dent in systemic racism and continue to put that dent in what we see with social injustice so that, you know, I may not see a, a huge difference in my lifetime, but, you know, for my nieces and my nephews and my, you know, great nephew, um, that, that it's a better world for them and for, other, for all children all, all around the world. You're truly looking to create a better future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Create a better future, one small step at a time. And, and create that better future for everyone across the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all of us. <laughs> to just create a better future and connecting continuous improvement to show us how to do that, to be the model of going through those steps, of getting from this current state to that future state of having a better world. I can really see the connection with our conversation, Deandra. You know, you, you spoke about your upbringing with your parents and the insights they gave you and then your career, which has been about connecting people and helping people understand and build communication. Like it all seems to be so connected. You're on a big cause right now. But wow, the learning you've had can really apply to that. And, and not only that, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's, it's not only, I'm still learning. Um, you know, just full transparency in working with this root cause racism project, which now we're referring to it as a movement. Um, there were, there are biases that I possess that I have to regularly check myself and, and check my way of thinking. And, um, and, and it is, and I, and I get, I get so excited. I get chills when I talk about this because you know, this is not just a, a one and done or a one time type activity. This is really a, a movement. And, you know, with, with the recent events from George Floyd to, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and now, you know, Jacob Blake, there has been a shift and, and, and people are starting to wake up and realize something is wrong. You know, this, this Black Lives Matter it's not just a hashtag and it's not just a t-shirt. This is reality. And, and there is a concern about the safety and the sanctity of black life. You know, I fear for my own safety at times. I fear for the safety of my loved ones. And then even those who are becoming more vocal about being allies and what they're doing in, in their anti-racist work, I fear for their safety as well. And we should not be afraid just for wanting to protect life, just for wanting what's best for people, just for wanting, you know, people to, to show respect for others and show respect for people. Um, and so it's, 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 um, 
we have quite a bit of work ahead of us, but, and it can be overwhelming. And, and that's why I think it's important that we um, break it down into bite-sized pieces and those first steps and set our first target goals um, so that it does not seem so insurmountable before we even get started uh, because we have quite a bit of work ahead of us. Yeah. I was just, as you were talking there, DeAndre, I was reflecting back on a conversation I had with Renee Smith, who I think you know yesterday. Mm-hmm. And Renee was talking to me about approaches to drive out fear out of an organization or out of a culture and bring in love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Renee, I absolutely adore her. And she, I love the work she's doing because a lot of what we see is based on fear. It's based on fear and lack of knowledge. And, and that's why it's so important that we create these spaces where people can come together and not only learn about what it is they don't know, but address whatever it is that they fear. Um, you know, my, my pastor uh, from, from, from back home in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Dr. Cosby would often, often says that fear is false evidence appearing real. And a lot of things that we fear don't even exist. It's not based on, you know, it's not based on anything. That, it's not based on data. And um, so the, the work that, that she is doing and, and driving out that fear and, and introducing love, it's, it's so important. And it, and it ties in, again, with continuous improvement because it comes back to we're working with people and the need to show respect for people. It doesn't matter what field we talk about, whether we talk public sector, private sector, racism in community and community fear, mm-hmm. same applies that we're talking about people, aren't we? That's what I'm hearing from you. We're, we're always talking about people. Yeah. DeAndre, what, what challenges do you feel you're going to face and how are you thinking of overcoming these going forward? So that, that's a good question. Um, and, I, and I think about this quite a bit. And um, so some of the, the challenges that I feel like I, I, I will face is those people who have preconceived notions about racism doesn't exist. This is a bunch of malarkey, um, you know, that everything is fine. If, if people just would do what they're supposed to do and, and, and be good boys and girls, everything will be just fine. Um, but with, with what we practice and what we teach about continuous improvement and, and what I have to constantly remind myself, out of all of the list of obstacles, I have to focus on one obstacle at a time. And um, the one obstacle that I'm focused in on right now, um, or, and, I'm, and it's not even an obstacle, so to speak, it's more so of an experiment. And what I'm concentrated on is for those people who engaged and, and had, an, um, had opportunities to do that one small thing from the Root Cause Racism Project, and some of the feedback that was shared was they were provided the opportunity to come off the sideline and get involved. Prior to that, people didn't know how to get involved. And of course, you know, people have the option of protesting and that's certainly fine, but what else can be done to come off the sidelines? And so what I'm working with now, what I'm brainstorming and and what I want to partner with the Root Cause Racism team is to figure out what are the obstacles that are preventing people from coming off the sideline to get engaged? And what can we do to remove those obstacles? And then once they come off the sideline, what are the countermeasures? What are the anti-racist activities 
that people can do where they won't feel so overwhelmed, but yet still realize that they're making an impact on, on, on addressing systemic racism and social injustice. It, it sounds very powerful. And I can see just even in the conversations that you create, you're creating many conversations and lots of communication. Mm-hmm. And as you, I guess you found through your career, that's going to play a big part. And, and it does. And, and now that you say that, it, it, it takes me back to, um, it takes me back to my, my major in college. It was corporate and organizational communication. And that is not the major that I started in. I, I started out as a public relations major because I received a scholarship. And I remember my freshman year, one of my college professors told me, because at the time, I've always been plus size or full figured. And I'm, during when I was in college, I was much heavier then. And I remember a prof- professor told me, he said, he thought it was ridiculous that I was pursuing um, a career in public relations. He said, look at you, who would hire you to be the face of their company? And I said, oh, okay, well, thank you so much. And you have a good day too. And I remember I went down the hill and and cried all the way back down the hill. And I, um, my roommate at the time, my best friend, God rest her soul said, he doesn't know you. He doesn't know anything about you. He doesn't know what's in store for you. So ignore him. But thankfully, I had another professor. It was one of my communication classes. And this particular professor told me, he said, Deandra, he said, you need to change your major from public relations to corporate and organizational communication. He said, I have listened to you speak. You know, I've watched you in in your classes and, and things like that. And he said, you need to pick a degree that will allow you to do all the things that you need to do in the world. And I thought, hmm, okay. I thought that was pretty weird. And so it was, my, it was my junior year when I received that advice. And I changed my major, took a bunch of summer classes and did other things. And that was one of the best decisions that I could have ever made. Because a lot of what I learned, um, you know, through that communication studies has translated to not only with what I'm doing with continuous improvement and, and what, you know, um, not only continuous improvement, but in all areas I work, it always comes back to communication. Communication is so key. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That, thank goodness for that professor. Yes, that, that's why educators are, good educators are so important. And I'm really fortunate, although I had that one, I have had so many other teachers who have shaped and who have influenced me, um, some of whom I still keep in contact with. My, you know, my teacher I had in fourth second grade, fourth grade, as well as some of my high school teachers and even my college professors, you know, they, they, they help to, to shape, you know, they're why DeAndre Wardell is right here today. So between the influence of, you know, my parents and, you know, different community leaders and my teachers, uh, but that the common thing among everything still goes back to showing respect for people and taking the time to talk and listen. You know, bless all those people who helped form what you're doing now, Deandra. Yes. Deandra, what have you, I, I'd like to finish on a question. What have you learned recently that you didn't know before? What's been a recent insight for you? So a recent insight for me, and this time I will call a name. <laughs> um, a recent insight for me was um, a conversation I had with Karen Ross. And I remember when 
know, in the formative stages of the Root Cause Racism Project. And I, I, I put this proposal together and I wanted her to review it. And I sent her an email and I said, Karen, please look at the, and, and these are the words I said in the email. Karen, please look at this. Please poke holes in it, you know, tear it apart. Tell me whatever it is I need to do to make it sound okay. And so when we had our call, she, you know, I was like, okay, Karen, tell me what is it I need to change? She said, you don't need to change anything. And what she continued to share, what she went on to share with me was, listen to your voice. Speak your voice, stand in your truth, you know, do what it is you need to do, whatever it is you've been called to do, whatever it is on your heart to do, just make it happen. Don't let anyone else tell you what it should look like or what it shouldn't look like. Speak your voice. And what's so funny now is in other scenarios where I find myself and in, in different projects and things I'm working on, I can still hear Karen saying, you know, speak your voice, be true to who you are, because in all actuality, Brad, um, as a woman, as a black woman, and as a full figure black woman, I spent the majority of my life trying to, you know, fit in and, and try to assimilate and, and try to look and, and, and be comfortable and or make other people feel comfortable. And that's not what I've been put on this earth to do. And, you know, I need to use my voice to use my talents to connect to my purpose and fulfill what it is that I'm supposed to do. And the only way that I can do that is to be true to myself and, and listen to that voice that says, okay, do this now, do that now. We need to work on this. And so I, that's what I have learned recently. And I'm forever grateful to Karen for that advice. Thank you, Karen. That's great. Yes. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Deandra, how can people get involved? How can people reach out to you and how can they get involved? Okay. So how people can reach out to me is via LinkedIn. And that's just my name, Deandra R. Wardell. And um, my LinkedIn profile is open. You can see all of my posts and um, it has my contact information. You can message me. So LinkedIn is the best place to reach me. Deandra, thank you so much. That has been insightful and an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I'm looking forward to helping and being part of and seeing your journey into the future and helping us create a better future. Well, Brad, I want to thank you for having me. This has been, um, you know, the, the, the conversations that we've had leading up to this podcast and especially during the podcast have, have just meant so much to me. And so I, I thank you for even in, in inviting me uh, to be a participant. Well, Deandra, thank you. You've inspired me and I'm Great. so looking forward to helping my part in the future and also seeing your journey go forward. Thank you, Deandra. Thank you. What a great episode with Deandra Wardell. I have Deandra's new website now, which is deandrawardell.com, which is D-E-O-N-D-R-A-W-A-R-D-E-L-L-E.com. My key takeaways from that episode was the influence that people can have on our lives, both good and bad. You know, going back to Deandra's example with university lecturers. Also, the power of unlocking and creating communication between leaders and frontline employees to, who create value. And the final takeaway for me was the power of understanding and mutual respect. I think with how people can influence this, being good and bad, you know, I've had recent experience of People give me examples of where even a negative experience with a leader or a, a past peer 
has actually fired them up and enabled them to achieve great things too. I guess it's what we do with those experiences that count. The power of unlocking and creating communication between leaders and frontline employees is paramount. This is where things like leaders spending time at the front line with employees, um, forms of communication where information from leadership can come to employees and back up so quickly is so powerful. I've seen the power of video conferencing in this throughout our era of COVID, where senior leaders and employees can collaborate more easily across broad spectrum areas across the globe using video conferencing. It's extremely powerful. Then finally, and most importantly, the power of understanding others and showing mutual respect. How amazing was that conversation with Deondra? I have nothing more to say than that. To me, it's everything in this world. If we can understand each other more, and show respect to each other more, wow, do we have a better world. So thank you, everyone. Thanks again, Deondra. Amazing episode. Talk soon. Bye for now.